Welcome to the Eating Habits for Life podcast. I'm Kate Johnston, certified habit coach, wife, stepmom, and former physician assistant. I help career women finally break free from their unhealthy eating habits. If you're ready to start feeling your best, then I can show you how. Let's go. Hi there, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me today, despite probably all of the things on your list with Christmas coming up. It's quite easy to go into a feeling of overwhelm around the holidays, but hopefully listening to my relatively soothing voice will help calm you down to some extent. But more importantly, this episode will give you lots of information on how to find your eating behavior triggers, meaning what is actually triggering you to do the specific eating behaviors. This is part one in my three-part series. So next week, I'll be talking about the eating behaviors specifically. All right. And then the third part is talking about the rewards that follow eating behaviors, which is really the motivation to do the eating behavior and how to actually address this so that you can set yourself up for success as much as possible. All right, so this episode is all about the triggers. So if you don't know what your triggers are, it's a lot harder to try to change the eating behaviors. So there's this sequence of events that occurs. You have a trigger, a behavior, and then some sort of a reward for doing the behavior or doing the action, right? So that's why I am doing this three-part series, okay? So... If you don't know what those triggers are, like I said, it's a lot harder to try to change the eating behaviors. That's one of the main things that is really part of the process of actually breaking the bad eating behaviors or habits, right? So habit is really just a behavior that's been done over and over and over again. And more specifically, it's that behavior sequence, the trigger behavior reward done over and over and over again. Finding the triggers and weakening those or completely removing them is going to be really key with breaking bad eating habits. Typically, when you weaken them, the objective is to weaken them to the point that they are gone if possible. However, there are always going to be some triggers that come up that you don't have full control over. And that's where developing the skill to not react to those triggers is extremely helpful and important, which of course is what I help my clients with. But a lot of the triggers, you can control a certain degree of them, all right? And the parts that you feel like you can't control, what you end up doing is you really just train yourself or you learn the skill of being able to encounter the trigger and not react to it. So that is really, really key, All right? So in this episode, I'm going to help you find out what your triggers are. You may be aware of at least one of the things that triggers a particular eating habit. You may not be aware of any of them. You may also be aware of a few, but not all of them, and not necessarily what's completely triggering you. You'll understand that a little bit more in this episode. So don't worry, that's what I will help you with in the next 20 minutes or so. 
All right. So first, you need to start out knowing the exact eating behavior that you would like to try to find the trigger for. Sounds really obvious, right? However, what I see often is that many women are a little unclear as to the specific eating behaviors because they sort of generalize all of their eating behaviors as bad. So they just kind of say, well, I just have bad eating habits or, or what have you, right? So if this is you, don't worry, this is common. You may find yourself confused about what exactly is triggering what because you're sort of clumping all of your eating behaviors into one and that's going to make it difficult to find specific triggers and match them up with specific eating behaviors, okay? So you sort of have to take that whole umbrella of eating habits or eating behaviors and really just pick one to start out with, right? So you're going to look at one specific eating behavior at a time. You're then going to find the trigger for that specific eating behavior. And by specific eating behavior, I don't mean just overeating in general or emotional eating in general. I mean eating a candy bar every day at work or eating half a bag of chips maybe five nights a week while sitting on the couch. Whatever the specific eating behavior that you'd like to try to break, you need to try to isolate out and ask yourself, what am I feeling right before I do this eating behavior, right before I eat the candy bar or half a bag of chips? Now, certainly you can also do that for the more broad um, eating behavior of overeating or emotional eating, but it's going to be a little bit more difficult to find the specific trigger if you're not being very specific about the eating behavior. So if you're overeating, what is it exactly that you're overeating, okay? The feeling can be something as simple as desire, right? So desire, or another word for desire is urge or craving. The desire is a feeling. A feeling is an emotion. So maybe you see candy bars all the time at work in the vending machine and you have the desire. You feel that desire. That desire might then trigger you to get a candy bar from the machine and eat it, right? For the chip example, maybe it's boredom. So maybe you sit down on the couch, turn on the TV, and because this isn't nearly as stimulating as maybe having some conversation with someone or reading a really great book, you might feel bored, which triggers you to get up and grab the bag of chips from the kitchen. Done over and over again, eventually this will become a habit, right? It becomes more automatic. When this becomes a habit and is automatic, it just seems so much less in your control. I know it seems that way, but really once it becomes a habit, your brain has just made the whole process of feeling the trigger, doing the behavior, and feeling some sort of reward from the behavior, usually pleasure or avoidance of discomfort, and makes this process just go more quickly. That's the whole purpose of your brain wanting to develop habits is for conservation of energy and to do things fast, right? So once an eating behavior does become a habit, like I said, the whole process 
just becomes a little bit quicker, a little bit more automatic. So I want you to think of that and less of once it becomes a habit, it's just completely out of my control because that's not true, all right? There's still always going to be a trigger. Something has to prompt you to do the eating behavior. The most direct trigger is going to be a feeling that drives the eating behavior or action. That feeling in your body is always going to be coming from a thought that you've produced in your mind. So once you ask yourself, what was it that you were feeling before you did the action, the eating behavior, you can then find out why you were feeling this way if you want to. This is actually really helpful information, so I highly encourage you to do so when you work backwards because you become aware of all the things that come into play to make the eating behavior actually occur. And having this awareness is really key to, quote unquote, solving the eating behavior or habit. So once you find what the feeling is that's driving the action, think of this as just really useful information. So let's go back to the candy bar example. If the feeling is desire, what is the thought that maybe triggered the desire? So Certainly, when you think about your eating behavior and then your trigger, you're going to think about your thought, but it could be as simple as, I could really go for a Snickers bar right now. Now, did you think of that thought out of the blue, or did you think that thought when you walked by the vending machine? This is just more information. If you just had the thought, I could really go for a Snickers bar right now, you could ask yourself why. Or if you were my client, I would ask you why, and we would get to the bottom of why you really wanted that Snickers bar every day. Maybe it's because you're feeling unappreciated at work, and the candy bar either acts as a reward or it helps you temporarily feel a little bit better. And again, we're going to get more into the reward part of it in part three in a couple weeks. All right, so let's do another example. Let's say you find yourself eating seconds at dinner every night, okay? So that's not just overeating. That's specifically that you're eating seconds at dinner, right? Then you end up feeling overly full. You notice that you're slowly gaining weight. So the behavior that you want to try to change is eating seconds. What is triggering you to do this? Now, sometimes it's tough to find the feeling. So this is why I wanted to give you this example. Sometimes it's easier to find the thought. For example, if you see everyone else taking seconds, you might have a thought, I'm going to do the same. Or maybe you don't see everyone else taking seconds, but there will be something else triggering you. Maybe it's just seeing the food on the table and thinking that you don't like to have leftovers in the fridge, right? The thought can really be anything. When it comes to finding your eating behavior or eating habit triggers, all of this, like I said, is just very useful information. It's sort of like when you go to the doctor's office, the doctor, PA, or nurse practitioner will be listening for all the pertinent information he or she needs to make a diagnosis and also will ask you some pointed questions as well. 
Some of these things you may not have thought about. Some of these things you may not realize are even important at all. But the healthcare provider needs a lot of this information to make a diagnosis and then, of course, develop a treatment plan. Sometimes they need to collect more data by doing blood work or imaging studies. And then you might have a diagnosis and treatment after more data collection. But it's all very important and helps to really pinpoint what it is that's actually the problem and establish all the possible treatment options you can do for the problem. All right, so kind of think of it like this if you can, if that's a helpful way to think about it for you. Okay, so now I just want to help you in being able to find some more useful information about your triggers, even beyond what I just talked about. So of course, you're going to think about the feeling that you had right before the eating behavior, the action. Also, it's good to think about the thought that you had that generated that feeling within your body. If you're having trouble doing it in that order, you can always flip-flop, like I just mentioned, right? You can try to find the thought, and then from there, you might be able to find a feeling, right? It's also very helpful to know what triggered the thought. So what triggered the thought can be anything, anything in the world, right? Any sort of circumstance or thing outside of you in the outside world. It can be a person. It can be seeing a plate of cookies, smelling pizza, your job, your past history. Now, just to be clear, these things don't control your thoughts. Only you control your thoughts. They come from your brain. Now, of course, you can't always control all of your circumstances or at least 100% of each individual circumstance. You can't control another person, right? You might not be in complete control of seeing a plate of cookies or smelling pizza. Your past history, you can't control either because it's in the past. And certain things about your job, you may not be able to control either. However, the great news is that you can learn how to not react to these things in such a way that will prompt you to do the eating behavior that you're trying to decrease or stop completely. You also have control of your thoughts about these things, right? And that's why it's really important to understand your triggers, but also understand that you don't need to just completely take away all of these triggers either. Some of them you can take away or decrease, which I'm going to share with you how to do this in just a moment. But some of them you also need to just learn the skill of having the trigger exist, but not letting it bother you. Also, your thoughts and feelings play a part as well. And those are some of the things that I help you with in coaching with um, specific tools and processes as well. So not letting it bother you to the point that you end up reacting and eating the food that you're trying to decrease or avoid is going to be um, something that's very, very useful as well, like I mentioned. And the lovely part about that is that it translates to lots of other areas in your life. So this is really a skill that pays off dividends in lots of other areas. All right, so... Some triggers that you can decrease or even take away are visual and even olfactory, meaning smell. 
Now, you may not think you have control of the circumstance of the plate of cookies that someone may have set out in the break room at work or the pizzeria you walk by on your lunch break, but you do have some control. Certainly, you have control of the thoughts and the feelings, right? But we're not going to get into this in this episode. So instead of focusing on what you can't control about these things, focus on what you can control. You can control what you do, right? You can control also what you think and feel, like I mentioned before, but you can control what you do or even don't do. So you would brainstorm a couple of options for the plate of cookies that someone may have set out in the break room at work, right? You might be able to move them to a different location so that it's not as visually obvious. You might change your route so that you won't walk by them every single time that you have to go to someone else's office. Now, this is where also just training your brain to not be triggered by this any longer is going to be helpful down the road as well. It just makes life easier for you. But in the meantime, especially in the earlier stages, you can decrease the trigger by not seeing it as much. As for the pizzeria that you pass by on your lunch break, you can walk a different route, right? You don't have to walk that same route. You can control your actions. Also, if you know that you're feeling hungry around lunchtime and you typically go for a walk, that might result in you walking by the pizzeria or smelling the pizza down the road. You can eat your own lunch that you brought from home ahead of time so that you're not even hungry for more food. And I don't mean the little tiny salad that leaves you unsatisfied, right? You're going to want to eat something that leaves you satisfied, okay? And whenever you're hungry, any sort of trigger is going to just be heightened significantly, especially if you're overly hungry, right? Because then it becomes more of an urgent thing. If you're not hungry because you've already filled up on a healthier lunch, yes, the pizza might still smell really good. However, you're going to be less likely to go in and buy a slice. For snacks at night, you can make these snacks less obvious. If they have to be in your house in the first place, which I would actually question, even if you feel like they have to be in your house for your kids or your significant other, you probably have more control over that than you think. Now, certainly you don't have control of what other people are bringing into the house necessarily, but you can also have a little bit of control by just simply asking them or telling them, why this might be a little bit difficult for you until you actually learn the skill of being around the chips and not necessarily reacting to them. And they can then decide if they want to continue buying the chips and bringing them into the house or not. You know, they have agency. So the most you can do really is just sort of tell them, be honest with them, and maybe ask them to do something or not do something. And then they get to decide what they end up doing or not doing, right? But there's always going to be options, always going to be things that you can do, right? So if you're the purchaser of the chips, you might really want to question if you need to be keeping them in the house in the first place, if they're that much of a problem for you. At least maybe not have them around in the beginning when you're trying not to be triggered by them. And then once you do learn that skill of not necessarily reacting and being able to process your emotions and allow cravings to come and go, all of that good stuff, you could potentially probably have the chips in your house again, right? 
And again, this is all on an individual basis, what you want your end results to be, your personality type, etc. I'm just giving some examples to sort of show you here. So try to make the trigger less visually obvious or make it less likely that you will be triggered by a smell by controlling what you can control. You can make a trigger less visually obvious by not putting it front and center or leaving it out on the counter, right? You can make it less visually obvious by either not buying it at all, or if it is in the house, sort of burying it in the back of the pantry or the cabinet so you're not seeing it every time you open up the pantry or cabinet. So I like to personally enjoy an occasional imperial stout in the fall or wintertime. So I've found that if I am keeping them in the refrigerator in our kitchen, Every time I open up the refrigerator door, I see it and have the thought, oh, that would be really yummy right now. However, if I leave those in the refrigerator that we have downstairs in our basement, I'm not seeing the stout every time I open the refrigerator door because I barely go down there and use that refrigerator. Therefore, I'm not getting that visual trigger very often, and if it's out of sight, it tends to be out of mind, especially the longer it is out of sight. Now, certainly, I still do keep them in the refrigerator in our kitchen because I have developed the skill of seeing something that may be triggering and then not letting it necessarily decide my behavior. I decide my behavior, right? But in the beginning, I did find it helpful when I was trying to change certain eating habits and behaviors by not putting these things, not even buying some of these things, right? And not putting them in that obvious spot. All right, so the last thing I leave you with is once you start discovering some of your triggers, I want you to congratulate yourself on doing this. You played detective and you got some really great information through your digging. This is only going to be helpful for you. What I don't want you to do is start thinking negatively about what is triggering you. Your brain might want to go to judgment. That's completely normal. I find that's especially true for women and especially for career women or perfectionists, right? So Next week, be sure to join me because I'm going to be doing part two, which is all about making the eating behavior harder to do if it's one you're trying to break or making it easier to do if it's one that you're trying to form, such as maybe eating oatmeal at home for breakfast instead of grabbing a breakfast sandwich and coffee at Starbucks. All right. So thanks so much for listening. Merry Christmas to those who celebrate. And if you don't want to do all of this alone, that's what I'm here for. You can book a free one-on-one consult with me so that I can find out where exactly you're at, what your goals are, and even your biggest goals that you might not have thought you were capable of reaching. And I can share my solution in getting you there. You can request a free consult right on the episode page, or you can visit katemjohnston.com forward slash consult. All right, take care, and I'll talk with you next week. 